where certain race groups and nationalities had to live in a specific area. And um, being Chinese, those of you who don't know, I'm Chinese. Um, <laughs> we were forced to live in a specific area in Port Elizabeth and our entire community was Chinese. Um, I went to a Chinese school, um, roughly 250 kids, all of us were Chinese. And yeah, it was interesting growing up in that environment because I didn't realize that this was like, this was not normal actually. Um, and that actually became my norm. Um, every day leaving school, going to school, you're just walking past and it's just Chinese people, you know? And you don't realize like there's, there's actually, there's other people out there that don't look like me. So it was an interesting life. Um, and then growing up as a young kid, got involved in, my family had a, a, a business and um, it was a, a takeaways. My parents worked really, really hard to, we, we four siblings. Um, I'm the third of four. Um, and I think growing up as a third child, there's a thing called third child syndrome. I don't know if you guys know what that is. I always felt like I was the one that was like unheard. Like I always felt like I was the one that was like um, forgotten about. And because of that, I used to throw these incredible tantrums, like, you, you, yeah, like incredible, Melissa's laughing because <laughs> I think you maybe understand that, right? Um, I used to throw these incredible tantrums so that my parents could actually hear me. Uh, we would go to shopping centers, and I would literally, if, my, if I wanted something and my parents didn't hear me, I would literally grab the entire shelf and just pull the entire shelf down. Um, yeah, I, I did some horrendous stuff. Like, you wouldn't think like a little toddler could actually do stuff like that, but I managed to do stuff like that. Um, yeah, just growing up um, in my family business and we just, yeah, I had to learn things very quickly. Um, and yeah, I think I, in a way, created this dependence in myself because it almost felt like my parents weren't hearing what I was saying. Um, and with that, I think there were many wounds that were created. Like I had this, yeah, many wounds were created and many crutches were used to, like, to fill those wounds. Um, what I wanna share today is a story of how God came into my life and, and turned those things upside down. He turned them and used them for his glory. Um, I want to use four characters in the Bible. And the reason why I'm using these four characters is because 
I think I identify with them the most in my journey with God. Um, I encountered God at a very young age. Well, not at a very young age, at, at the age of 15. And my encounter with God was quite, um, quite incredible. Um, I was part of a, a charismatic Pentecostal church. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's um, the Happy Clappies. And um, yeah, it was like this, yeah, getting saved into this name it and claim it gospel where I thought like everything was accessible to me. Like, yeah. Um, and it was a great foundation for me to actually live my faith in. But I think to some degree it became a little bit warped in a way because um, I leaned very much to one side of that gospel. Um, growing up in the family business, um, yo, we, we would literally, my mom and I, we would pray for customers that would come in like on a daily basis, like multiple customers would come in and we would see they were sick or we would see that they needed prayer for something. And we would, yeah, I just developed this incredible faith in God that God would heal these people. And I saw many healings, um, saw many miracles take place. Um, but I think it was still a bit of a warped sense of who God was in my life. Um, it almost felt like I could like click my fingers in a way and he would be there. And there was like this unhealthy fear or reverence for God. Um, scripture says that the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. And I think I had this like unhealthy fear which caused me to be very unwise. Um, and as life has progressed and as I've learned things and as you'll hear from um, the characters that I'm going to pull out of the Bible now, God has had to almost like tame that thing in my life in order for me to understand and have wisdom in the things of God in order to um, experience his presence and know who he is in my life. Um, the first character that I would like to um, bring up is um, Joseph. Okay, why Joseph? So Joseph was one of 12. I was one of four. No correlation there. Um, but he was almost, he was favored, okay? Um, he was favored by his father, Jesse. And he got given this cloak that he somehow paraded around with, okay? And his brothers didn't take lightly to, to that. Um, I, over the years, have been involved in many businesses and many startups and some that have been quite successful and some that have been some absolute egg beaters, if I could call it that. Um, but um, 
yeah, I think in terms of my life, um, I, I think at some point I thought I was like Joseph. Like I used to parade around with this cloak. Um, like, yeah, I think that thing of like you become quite independent and you think, well, I can afford anything. Um, I've had like, yeah, I don't know if this is something to brag about, but I've had like almost 50 cars in my life. I've had multiple homes. Um, yeah, and I've just, I think it became this thing of like bragging rights. Like I could walk around with my, and strut around with this coat that I could show people. And, and I was a Christian, I love God, but there was like this thing of like, that, like I wanted to show this thing off to people, you know? And somehow God had to strip me of that coat. Um, not a nice feeling, I must say. Quite a humbling thing. But God had to strip me of this thing to get closer to my heart. Um, and I used to pray this prayer. I used to say to God, God, even if you, if you take everything away from me, you can take everything, I will still love and serve you. And it's, it's a bold prayer to pray, but I must say it's, it's done me good in my life, actually. Um, one of the businesses that I was involved in was a business that I was involved in for nine years. I was there right at the inception. And uh, it was here in Cape Town, actually. Um, and what happened was, um, after nine years, I had become very discontent in the business. I was like, God, surely there must be more. Surely there must be more. And I was making really good money. I didn't have any worries. I was paying all my bills. I had surplus every month. I could go eat out whenever I wanted to, I could buy whatever I wanted, um, I could bless people, they could go on outreaches, I could, yeah, I just had a surplus. But there was still this discontentment in me and I would say to God, God, if you take everything away, I will still love you and serve you. And what happened on the 1st of November, 2017, our factory caught a light and there was this massive fire and literally the entire factory burned to the ground. And to my shock, I got a call from one of our staff members saying, hey, like he was screaming on the phone, I'm not gonna do it justice at the moment, but he was screaming on the phone saying that there was this massive fire that was happening. And I was, um, I, was at, I was at COM, actually, community group, in Century City, and as I went and I stood on the balcony at Century City and I looked out over Kilani Gardens, I saw this black smoke above the whole of Kilani Gardens, and I just started weeping on the balcony. I was like, what on earth? Like, that's, that's what I've invested my nine years in, and it's about to go up in flames. And I got a call that evening, well, 
yeah, I left, come, and I went to the factory. And as I was on my way there, someone phoned me and said to me, don't come to the factory. There's nothing left. Rather go to the hospital. And I raced off to the hospital because my boss had been burnt in the fire. Terrible, terrible, like, yeah, he had third-degree burns to about 40% of his body, but he survived. And two or three days afterwards, we went back onto site and we combed the entire area. We had forensics with us and the forensics guys were saying to me, so it was my responsibility because I had to make sure that, um, that, I, that I took all these guys through where we were and because everything, when I say everything had been burnt, it had been burnt to the ground. Um, and what had happened, yeah, and, and so we walked through the entire building and I got to my office, okay? So if you can picture this entire building, all those chairs, all this equipment, everything that you see here burnt to absolute ash. If you can picture that, and then picture a desk standing on its own with a leather chair completely untouched. Okay. That was my office. And I had some of the elders come through like two or three days later. And we walked through the entire building. Obviously, the fire department had been there, so everything's been sprayed down. So it's absolute, it looked like Armageddon had happened right there. But we walk, and they're standing at the one desk with the chair. And I said to them, this is my office. And they looked at it and they were like, what? And one of the elders, Dion Dalport, looked at me and he said to me, John, this is a sign to me that God has got your back. And I walked away from that day and I was like, yo, God's got my back. And I think with Joseph's life, like when he landed up in that pit, I don't think he, I think at one point he was thinking like, God, like, what have you done here? Like, why have you done this, you know? But if you look at Joseph's life, he landed up in Pharaoh's courts. He was head of security, if you could call it that, for Potiphar. He had a very important role. And I think... With my life, like at the moment, I'm, I'm embarking on some projects at the moment that I never ever thought in my wildest dreams that I would get, like be a part of. And I don't know, I don't know what that's gonna look like in the next little while, but I know that God has got my back. The second um, person that I want, I don't wanna say character, because that sounds weird. Eh? The second person, these are real people, right? Okay. The second person that I felt my life could relate to was Abraham. The reason why I thought Abraham was because at some point in my life, I wanted to get married. I wanted to have kids. And for many years, I was like, yeah, I'm going to get married, I'm going to have kids, by the time I'm 28, I'm going to be settled, everything's going to be great, yeah, yeah, that's my life, okay? 
28 came, 28 went. 38 came, 38 went. And I was like, God, like, what on earth is happening here? Like, have you forgotten about me? And I think that wound of the third child syndrome started coming up. And it was like, God, like, have you forgotten about me? And then, um, yeah, I think, I think with that, a bit of a rebellious streak came up in me. And I started taking life into my own hands. I thought, God, well, if you've forgotten about me, maybe I can create a relationship, you know. Maybe I can, I can, I can create something that's not really your will, but maybe I can fast-track this thing. And what happened, like, if you look at, if you look at Abraham's life, that's what he did. He thought he was going to fast-track his own life after waiting more than 100 years, yeah, I waited 40 odd years and I was like, I was too impatient. And um, Abram and Sarah, they fast tracked their life and they created an Ishmael in their life. Something that possibly wasn't completely on God's plan for them but they created something that they thought was better. I got into a situation a few years ago where I was involved in a relationship. And I'm so glad that I didn't create myself an Ishmael. But just in God's mercy and in God's grace towards me, He allowed me to get out of that situation. And I waited 45 years, and I met that lovely lady right there, Corne, and God gave us Faye, okay? And when God gave us Faye, I thought to myself, oh, this is like, this is incredible. This is like my dream that has finally come to fruition. And Kunay and I always say to each other, hey, like, you know, we've got to hold our marriage very lightly. We've got to hold Faye very lightly because she's a gift to us. As many of you who are parents, you'll know a child is a gift to you. But sometimes you don't know how long that, that gift is going to be with you for. Like, you, it might be a short while, it might be for years. And then... We get tested in that area where Faye landed up in hospital twice now in the last eight weeks. And like standing at the hospital as well, I was like, oh God, like why are you doing this, man? Why? Like, um, but if you look at Abram's, if you look at Abram when he was tested, when he, he went up the hill, he, he was intimate with God. He was in God's presence, right? This is burning bush. It's busy speaking to him. And God says to him, I will provide a ram for you. And I think sometimes we, yeah, we think we know better. Um, and then God tests you in that very area of your life. Um, and that's where we've been tested. 
The third character is David. And I think I resonate with David the most. Um, the reason why I say that is because when I was younger, I thought everything was possible. Everything. If I thought something and I thought I was going to do it, it would be possible. Um, and my, my parents were so worried about me. Like, they were so, so worried about me. They, they got called into the school the one day, and the principal sat them down, and my parents were, like, pulling their hair out and going, like, what is going to happen to our son? Like, is he going to be a dropout? We can't handle him at home. He's got this crazy temper. He does things that we don't understand. We don't know where he learns the stuff from. We don't know who teaches him the stuff. But he's uncontrollable. And I remember my, well, my parents came home afterwards and they spoke to me about it. And uh, my principal sat them down and looked into my, my parents' eyes and said, don't worry about John. He's going to be okay. He's a survivor. He'll be okay. And I think I've adopted that, I've adopted that thing in my life. Like, I am a survivor. Um, and if I look at David's life, David had to encounter this, encounter this massive giant. He didn't, didn't have to, but he chose to encounter this giant, right? No one wanted to, but he said, I'll do it. And... Some of you don't know this story, but I'll share this story. Um, when Conan and I were courting, we wanted to speed up our engagement, okay? And um, eventually she said to me, John, like, maybe not now, maybe just give, okay, this giant that I'm about to talk about, um, if this is being recorded, this, I'm doing this out of respect to my father-in-law. My father-in-law was my giant in my life. And if you can picture 116 kilos of beef <laughs> against me, 60-odd kilos, um, I had to go and encounter this man to ask for his daughter's hand in marriage. And our backgrounds are obviously very different. Um, for those of you who don't know, there's a massive age gap between Conan and myself um, of 17 years. Um, and I have to go and encounter this man to ask him for his daughter's hand. So before we go, we actually land up asking like a whole bunch of our friends, guys, please pray for us. This is what's going down this weekend. Please pray for us. And we literally had an entire army of people like praying for us that weekend. Climbing to the vehicle, we, we go out to visit our parents. And as we're driving, we get to Hermanus. For those of you who don't know, it's two hours away from Cape Town. Get to Hermanus, and there's this massive storm that we drive into from nothing. And then there's this massive storm. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this is like, this is what the entire weekend is going to be like. So we get there, and we've got, just, rem just remember this, we've got people praying for us, okay? We get to Hermanus, 
Um, Kone's dad went hunting in the week and he had shot a gemspok and he says, nah, I'm going to start a braai for us and he's busy at the braai and we land up, we say to them, well, we're going to get there late. So we get there, um, I think it was like half past eight that evening because of the storm. We walk in, he greets us, he's at the braai and he's busy making the food and he's busy making food and he's busy taking off food and he's busy making food and he's busy taking off food. And as he's taking off food, he's busy sampling food at the same time. And while he's talking to us, he takes some food off and he drops the food next to the dish. And in his disgust that he did that, he sucks in and a piece of food gets stuck in his throat. So we all see this and we like, Kone's like, Papa, or Dad, are you okay? And he doesn't answer. So imagine me, 60 odd kilos, 116 kilos. And what happened was, um, Kone's sister was there as well. She's busy studying nursing. She thinks, okay, it's time for the Heimlich because he's not breathing at the moment. And she goes and she tries to dislodge this food and nothing happens. And I've never done the Heimlich in my life, but I became an expert that day. So I go up to Kone's dad. Kone thought her dad was gonna die that day. She was, she was crying. The sister was there, she was crying and I went up to him and I just started beating him on the back first, okay? He has my chance. I'm going to hit this man. <laughs> and I'm beating him on the back. And not, the food is not dislodging. And I thought to myself, well, I'm going to try the Heimlich on this man. So I go and I grab him around his waist. And he's got a bit of a, bit of a paunch. So I grab him around his waist and I just managed to close my hands. And at the time... I was training at Crewside with JJ. <laughs> so I plant my legs, and believe it or not, Kone will testify to this, I lifted him off the ground. So I lift him off the ground, and I yank him as hard as I can, and nothing happens. And in the process, I land up pulling a muscle in the back of my shoulder. So I'm like, oh my goodness. So I thought to myself, and her dad like literally is going, he's going blue and he's going, he goes limp in my arms. So I thought to myself, I've got one more pull and if I don't get this done, this man's going to die in my arms. And I plant my legs again and I land up pulling as hard as I can. And what happens, this piece of food pops out. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. And in that moment, her dad walks away and he goes, he just goes and he composes himself. But after that, he came back to me and he bumped me on the shoulder like this. And he was like, thank you for saving my life. And I realized like in that moment that this was my Goliath, you know. Many of us have Goliaths in our life that we, we try and encounter, we try and like encounter these giants and we don't know how we're going to encounter them. But somehow God overcomes that thing. Somehow God helps us to overcome that thing. And I can't tell you what it did for my relationship with Kone's dad in, a, in an instant. I mean, from not knowing this man, I mean, I've only just started courting his daughter. 
Now I'm asking his daughter to get married. And in an instant, God unites my heart with this man. And yeah, I think, yeah, it's something that I don't deserve. I really, I, I didn't deserve that, but God literally in an instant allowed that to happen. The last um, person that I want to highlight is John the disciple. Why John the disciple? You know, there's 12 other disciples. One of them wasn't so good. Um, and, it, and if you look at John's life, I was like thinking through this, and like when God was downloading this stuff to me, I thought to myself, okay, well, God, why John? And if you take, for instance, if you take the story of the Last Supper, which for me is probably one of the most profound stories in the Bible, um, Jesus comes to his disciples, he starts washing their feet. Such an intimate moment, okay? I mean, I know most people don't like it when people touch their feet, I and mean, that's like quite weird. But imagine like Jesus coming and washing his disciples' feet. And one disciple says, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. Jesus says to him, well, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, you can't be a part of me. But in that picture, I can just like picture this setting. And where is John in that moment? Jesus is telling them, listen, yeah, guys, we've walked together for so many years together. We've been friends for so many years. Um, we've done crazy things together. Um, but you know what's going to happen tomorrow? I'm not going to be here anymore. Why? Because this is the last time we're going to eat together. Such an intimate moment. And Jesus is telling them this is the last time. Imagine like I was thinking about it earlier today, earlier this morning. Imagine Ian, who we've all gotten to know very well, says to us, hey guys, like tomorrow's the last time we're going to be together. Why? I know, because I'm actually going to go and die. If I think about Jesus in that moment, he was, he was with his disciples. Where was John in that moment? John was on his chest. What an incredible place to be. And this morning, I want to challenge us, like, with our lives at the moment, like, I was thinking, like, why did the other disciples not, like, the other disciples might have been looking at John going, like, yo, like, what makes you so special that you can put your head on Jesus' chest? But this morning, I want to say to us, like, Jesus is inviting each one of us to be close to him. Jesus is inviting, he's inviting each one of us to come and put our head on his chest. And for me, like, I've had a pretty intimate relationship with God. Like, I've, I've walked far from Him, but I've walked very close to Him. I've seen the supernatural happen. I've seen, I've seen crazy things happen. But I would rather be on the chest of Jesus. And it's, it's nothing special that I've done. I don't deserve it. But this morning, I believe Jesus is inviting us to come close to him. He's asking us, why? Why are you standing so far away with other disciples? 
Why did they not come closer if they knew that was the last time that they were going to eat with him? And I want to say to us this morning, if it is our last time, we don't know, if it's our last time today, how close would I come to Jesus? How close would I want to encounter him? Um, there's a little kid's book here that Corne found. I wasn't going to read it, but I'm actually going to read it very quickly. Um, it's a kid's book, and it says, I can't see you, God, so please give me a clue. Do you look like me, and do I look like you? Are you big or little? Are you short or tall? Can you really see me when I am so small? Do you like to whisper? Do you like to shout? Can you sing or whistle? I'd like to find out. Are you strong or gentle? Are you ever sad? Do you have a temper like me when I am mad? Where do you live in a house in the sky? How do I know you're somewhere nearby? Do you love me always or just when I'm good? I, do, um, I don't always do things the way that I should. I have lots of questions to ask you like these. I wonder if maybe you'll answer them, please. You're looking for answers, then here's what to do. Just turn to the Bible to find what is true and listen to everything that I say to you. You won't find a picture of me in a book. There isn't one person who knows how I look. But don't be upset that you can't see my face. You can look at my work in this beautiful place. I've been alive since before time began. I made the whole world by my very own plan. I'm as tall as the heavens. I'm as wide as the sea. But even your hairs are all counted by me. My voice can be gentle and silent and still and also like thunder that roars through the hills. I sing with the waves and the whistling breeze, and joining my song are the hills and the trees. I'm as strong as a fortress, a rock and a shield, but as gentle as rain falling softly on fields. When you are unhappy, that makes me feel sad. I'm filled with great joy when I make your heart glad. My anger comes slowly and fades like the night. There's no darkness in me, but goodness and light. I live in the world and in heaven above. I live in your hearts of my people whom I love. For I am the maker of heaven and earth. I spoke and my word brought all life into birth. I'm like a mother who comforts your fears and tenderly wipes away your tears. I'm like a father who wants to provide, to care for your needs, and to stay by your side. I am the creator, the first and the last. I'm God of the present, the future, and past. I'm the good shepherd who cares for each lamb. I am the almighty. I am who I am. I'm going to stop right there. I just want to say to us this morning that God is inviting us to encounter him. We heard it in the worship. Um, and 
Yeah, just with the story of John, I want to leave that with you this morning. It says that one of the disciples who Jesus loved was reclining next to him, or some translations say lying on his bosom. Will you this morning come and lie on Jesus' chest? Will you encounter him? Will you allow him to meet you this morning? Um, yeah. That's really good. Thank you so much, John. I think I would like to open an opportunity. And I think the first opportunity is for us, all of us, if we know Jesus, have accepted him. I'm actually going to allow for that space to come at his feet, lay on his chest. And Dave, I don't know if you don't mind, like if we, we're going to just have a time of, yeah, being in his presence. Um, but before that, I also do want to open up an opportunity. If you don't know Jesus, you haven't, oh, you know about him, but you don't know him for yourself. I'd like to say this is an opportunity to meet him. I'd like to, like John has shared, he's had many encounters and different life stories. But in all of that, one thing that remained was Jesus in him. And I'd like to have an opportunity. If you want Jesus in your life, and you want to have these moments with him and have time with him, this is our opportunity to, yeah, find him. Your opportunity to find him. You haven't have accepted the Lord. If you maybe can yeah, indicate by raising your hand if that's what you would like. Accepting Jesus for who he is. And he can come into your life and see him. If there is anyone who is like that and wants to. And if there's no one, I'd like to, yeah, for us to spend the next few moments at his feet, worshiping him. The one thing that stuck out with what John was sharing, and I would like us to actually think about it as well, is at times in our walks, we want to take things our own hands. We start creating our own Ishmael's. This is not necessarily a literal baby, but it's where we take our own steps and actually put God aside and say, this is how we're going to do it. When we come to his presence, can we let that go? And say, Lord, and ask actually for forgiveness, because it's actually trying to, in a way, play God in a way, play and be him and saying, God, you're not good enough. I'm better. I can do these things better. Lay those things down. Bring it at his feet and say, Lord, I trust you with that. <laughs>